We are continuing our Jesus Is series, and this week our theme is Jesus Is My Calling, which I'm really excited to dive into. First, I'd love to introduce Ian and Gail Goodrick. They are our, oh, sorry, we can clap. Yeah, give them a clap. Woo! <laughs> yeah. Pause, yeah, for applause. All right, would you guys like to introduce yourselves, how you met, even, you know, things, whatever you decide. <laughs> Well, we met, ooh, 1975, right? 1975 in the police force. We were both police officers. And I got to work with Ian for a few weeks, and I couldn't stand him. (laughs) I hated him. (laughs) Is that a horrible word? I didn't didn't get on with him at all. I thought he was a male chauvinist, self-opinionated, (laughs) big-headed. And there you go. So I didn't get on with him. Um, we worked together for about three months, and then we went our separate ways in the police force. Taught you all. <laughs> and then we met again ten years, ten years later, we met again. But that's another story. What was the question? <laughs> oh, me. Um, Ian Goodrick, former police officer, broke my neck in a car smash possibly the best thing that happened to me. Um, Privileged to be sitting here this morning to share how we feel God has called us. We aren't fancy leaders of churches. We aren't missionaries. We don't have a calling in a particular place. But for the last 30 odd years, we just feel... God has been able to call and calling to me has been all about faith and believing and I'm not sitting here saying I am perfect because there are loads of times I've said no chance not a hope there have been so many times I've questioned is there a God But as surely as I am sitting here today, I promise you on my life that there is. What was the question? (laughs) I was going to say, you kind of, yeah, that was, you got into my second question, which is great. So, so Gail, so uh, Ian's touched on this. Uh, Jesus is my calling. How does that, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to you guys as a couple, as a family? Personally, um, I believe God's calling to us has been about obedience, about trying, because we all do it, trying not to question what God wants us to do, and just with a childlike faith, which is really difficult, but I'm quite childlike anyway, so it's quite easy for me, um, trying to just to do what God wants us to do and be obedient in what he asks us to do. And that has been very, very difficult down the, down the years, but hopefully that have, we've done what we've been asked. Yeah. Calling for me goes back to 1986. I've got to keep checking the dates. When I was in a horrible place, I'd gone through a horrible divorce, um, felt nobody loved me. I was a backslidden 
Christian, having made a commitment in the police force and then walked away from God, which is very easy to do because it's a battle that we're in. I was penniless. I was working fiddle, money coming in, working as security on a floating nightclub that was being built. And about four o'clock one morning, the place was entirely empty, when I shouted out, if there is a God, will you help me find somebody I'm going to be happy with? And that is the first real time I actually heard God call me and speak to me. And he told me, clearly, as we are sitting here today talking, to go to a certain place at a certain time, and I would find someone I would be happy with. Bit of a control freak. I didn't believe one thing of it. But went, because I was in a bad way, and went to the place I was meant to go, and I bumped into Gail, who I hadn't seen for ten years. I love that. That's that's incredible. Um, yeah. So specifically, you, you've shared an amazing moment of God calling you. Can you think of any other maybe moments or, or specific times where you felt God's call in your life, and would like to share a story about that? Right. We were living in Newcastle, and just found well a year earlier we just found out that we couldn't have children, and I was devastated. But got on with things, and Ian suggested we adopt. And I said, no, not doing that, yep. Not doing that. If I can't have any of my own, I don't want to adopt. Really, really dead set against it. Anyway, a year later, I got a a slip in my pay slip saying, um, why not adopt a child? And I just looked at it and thought, do you know what? The time's right, I do. So rang in and we went through an adoption procedure and got a little girl. Supposed to be a baby, she was 10 year old. <laughs> but never mind, we got a beautiful girl. Um, and we went through some struggles with her um, and still do. But while that was going on, Ian was working in Newcastle. And the routine was, got young Gail off to work, to school. I came home, Bible time, my time with God when Ian was at work. And this morning, Ian rang me and said, how do you fancy moving to Plymouth? And I said, well, pray about it. He said, I'm in the middle of interviewing someone. You pray. So open my Bible up, and the words, move south, young man, to warmer climates. And I thought, right. So rang Ian and said, this is where you've got to read in the Bible, see what you make of it. I rang the pastor of the church, Beth Shan, we were going to, and asked him to pray about it. And then we moved to Plymouth. Now that, to me, was God clearly moving us because what had happened was we'd um, had a couple of prophecies in the church of Beth Shan saying that God was going to use us mightily. And the leadership suddenly were going to put us onto a leadership course. Now I'd, I believe that God didn't believe we were ready for that and moved us out of that situation into a different situation in Plymouth which we did get into leadership, but in a different way, and a little bit later on, which was when we were ready to do it. Um, that, that's Ian's favourite part of the testimony. 
Yeah, we ended up in Plymouth. We've been there about three months. It's quite nice sitting at the back of a church and not really involving yourself. But over the last 30 years, I've realized if you don't involve yourself, you miss out. You miss out big style. But down in Plymouth, we were sat there when we had a tap on the shoulder. And this lady and gentleman said, we believe God's calling you. I thought, no chance. I'm in Plymouth. Can't get any further south. He says, no, he wants you to lead the children's ministry. I said, don't be stupid, I don't like kids. He says, no, God's got his hand on you, and you're going to lead the kids' ministry. I just laughed. I ended up, after six to eight months, we did end up leading the kids' ministry. We ended up buying a big bus. We drove into the heart of the Docklands in Plymouth, which 30-odd years ago was the pits. We used to bring all the kids out on a Sunday morning. We had about 30 or 40 kids on the bus, bringing them into a church which was so middle class, you wouldn't believe it. They poo-pooed these kids being there. They couldn't understand why, when we had a party, the kids wouldn't use knives and forks, and they just went, um, and straight into the mouths. Um, and it was just fabulous to see the children softening the hearts of these middle class, snooty, well-to-do, fancy people who said they were Christians but weren't actually sharing and loving as God's told us to love. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, there's. I feel like you guys could tell so many different stories of all these things that God has called you to. And um, Oh, yeah, it's really cool to hear a couple. Um, and you've mentioned there was a, a specific uh, passage of Scripture that, that God used to kind of help you guys decide and discern whether or not to move to a new place. Are there any other um, formative, like, Scriptures or words that you've received from people that you'd like to share with us? Yeah. Um, God moved us from Plymouth back to Hilton, just outside Yarm. Then from there we went across to uh, Clitheroe. And I said I'm not the perfect Christian. I'm not the perfect person. One of the reasons why we ended up moving was because I put my boss up against the wall and threatened to plant him um, because he was swearing and I didn't like it. So he actually became the big, big boss and didn't really want me working there anymore. So we ended up moving. I moved jobs. We worked across in Warley. Um, where I spent about two and a half years working for one of the banks across there when I opened my big mouth and told them exactly what I thought, which didn't go down well at Christmas, when they said, we don't really think you're up for working for us and you're too honest. I said, I'm sorry, but that's me. And anyway, ended up not working for them after another three-month period. Again, feeling, where's God in all of this? When somebody in the church came and said, have you read Jeremiah 29, verse 11? Because I believe that's for you. 
And I'm not into big scripture. I don't quote scripture readily like people can. But for me, it was, I have it planned for you. And that was so simple that God actually knows. And there's many times when I've sat in services where people said, God knows the hairs on your head. Well, when you've got no hairs on your head, you do wonder whether he actually knows. But I assure you, God, shut up. <laughs> I assure you, God does know. Um, and he does know the plans he has for each and every one of us. If, and this is the big if, if we're actually prepared to listen. Because sometimes we aren't prepared to listen and we actually miss out on the benefits and the everything that God wants and plans for us. I was just going to say, we've, we've been really, really fortunate and God's moved really mightily in our lives over the years. And, and we've had, he's, he's spoken to us verbally, he's spoken to us through other people, he's spoken to us, to us through his word. And, but the ultimate thing for me is, like Ian, I don't have one specific passage of scripture because I find in my time, as, as I go through my Christian life, times change and your circumstances change and there's a passage in the Bible that would fit wherever you are with God. Um, and I just hold on to that. I don't particularly hold on to one piece of scripture. I love that. So it's um, kind of making yourself, being still and listening, giving God the chance to speak and then being obedient and 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 stepping out into that. Um, yeah, that's, that's incredible. Um, so what would you say to someone here who is kind of struggling with maybe this idea of my call, like God's call on their life is, is um, foreign or, or confusing? What would you guys say to them, and, and what advice would you give to them? Um, just really simply, um, read your Bible, Pray and ask God for guidance and listen. And we were always taught as kids, God gives you two eyes, two ears, and one mouth. Use them in that way. Read, listen before you speak. Um, but just try and be obedient. Just try and just simplify. Don't over-complicate things. Simplify them because that's how God will speak to you. For me, if I was sat there now struggling, listening to people who've been through the last 30 years where you might be thinking oh, they've had it easy, I would say be patient because your timing isn't always God's timing. We've been in situations where we doubted, we questioned, and I will admit I am not the Bible reader I should be, as Mike Taylor falls off his chair, um, but I'm not. But what I do do is I talk to God. For me, God's my dad. And I apologize to anybody who finds offense in that. But God is my dad. And I talk to him as my dad. 
And I've always had a vision of walking with him, holding on to his hand. As tall as I am, I still lean up, reach up and hold his hand. And I think we've got to put ourselves in that situation. We've got to make ourselves willing to hold on to God's hand. And he will take you and he will lead you as a father should. And as a result, he'll bless you accordingly. I'd just like to touch on something that might help somebody, I don't know. Um, we mentioned before about adopting a little girl, a 10-year-old. Now, that wasn't an easy adoption. She'd been really badly abused. And things didn't go right. We, we had her for four years, and then she went back into care. But we kept contact with her. And then at 16, she got pregnant, came home, and had a little boy. And some of you know Matthew. Um, he, she walked away from him when he was nine months old and left him with us, and we've brought him up. Now, we were in a church in Morpeth, and God, through a preacher, said, God's going to give you a baby. And I knew I couldn't have kids. Um, and God gave us Matthew to look after on his behalf. Um, and Gail went from, bless her, from bad to worse and, and got into drugs and drink and, and ended up going in and out of prison, in and out of rehabs. Um, at the moment, she's in prison in the south of England and she's there for a long time. Now, we've been to see her twice now um, and God, thankfully, is working through her um, through a program she's doing in prison. And I do firmly believe that God's got her there for that specific reason, so that nobody else can get to her, but he can do a work in her and get her back on the right track. Because when she was 13, we walked into church in Yarm, and a, a gentleman I've never met before in my life, and I've never seen him since, walked up to us and said, Oh, hang on. <laughs> God's got your daughter on a length of elastic. It doesn't matter how hard she pulls or how tight it goes, it will never snap and he will never let go. And I hang on to that and she's 37 years old now. Yeah, it has been a difficult time. So when we say we follow God and we listen to God, it isn't always easy. So if you sat there thinking, oh, it's all well, well and good for people who are more holier than thou type thing, I assure you, it isn't. But through all of that, you've just got to hang on for whatever situation you're in. Because God loves you. And he wants to be your dad. For whatever relationship you might have experienced or known, he is there for you. And it's quite good sitting here actually saying this because it strengthens me. So thank you for the opportunity and the privilege of sat here. Wow. <laughs> um, thank you so much, guys. That was incredible. And it was amazing to hear your hearts and how obedient you guys have been. And, and even how honest as well. And that this isn't just... 
it's it's not all a, a smooth ride, uh, like by any means. And and having the strength and obedience to be honest uh, with us this morning, I thank you guys so much for that. Truly, thank you so much. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> um, I don't really know how to follow that up, to be honest. Um, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to get to share a bit, um, just a couple of thoughts on what it means, um, I'm just going to, what it means to, um, this, this idea of Jesus is my calling, and, and Ian, you just touched on it so well, and the first thing that I thought of is that, uh, when Jesus came to this earth, he was coming to bring about the kingdom of God, and everything that was happening on the earth, every idea and system and tradition, he was coming to completely flip upside down and put it on its head. So to the point where he's saying, love your enemies, he's saying the last will be first. Um, In the Beatitudes, when, when Jesus says his famous sermon on the mount, the first thing he says is, blessed are the poor. He comes to say that he's like going to speak to to free those who are captive and to set the oppressed free, to open blind eyes. And all of a sudden, those who have this power, those who are all the way up here, those who are trying to exalt themselves are being humbled. Uh, it's it's incredible. and and it all comes from from this the heart of God in that he desires a personal relationship with us. And, and he, God is constantly, and Jesus, if you, if you read through the gospels, people are drawn to Jesus from all different spheres of life. You have the religious leaders, you have the lowest, the least of these, and they're all drawn to Jesus. And I'm going to read a story for us real quick. I know we're like we've started late and we're, I'm not really sure how long we're going. I apologize. We are already over, but okay. So there's this, um, this passage where, um, a a woman, um, she finds out where Jesus is and, and he's gone to a Pharisee's house. They've invited him over for dinner, tea, you know, and, uh, and the Pharisee is someone who is going to be a very well-known, a very righteous person, high standing within the society. And so it says one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with Jesus. So he's invited him over. He went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him, at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, and I love that he calls him out by name because we haven't heard his name yet, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. And he he gives this parable. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, 
or we'll just say pounds, 500 pounds, and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards a woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I just wanted to highlight that story real quick because I think it shows how Jesus treats the least of these and what Jesus is all about. And he's calling these, he's calling these people to himself to himself, and the way that he treats them, it is really interesting. And he, we have these two completely opposite people who are in the presence of Jesus. We have our Pharisee on one side, we have our woman who is a known sinner on the other side. And it's so clear that, that she has this reputation we don't know what she was doing that that caused anyone to kind of look at her and realize she was she was a sinner or that she had made mistakes. Um, and you know, maybe it was her appearance, the way she was dressed, her reputation, whatever preceded her. And the Pharisee invites Jesus over, and yet he doesn't kind of give him the customary things that you would when you had someone. So Jesus says, "You didn't uh, wash. You didn't give me water to wash my feet. You didn't kiss me, which was a known greeting that you know kiss each other on the cheek, whatever." And yet this woman who is at the lowest of the low, the way that she enters into Jesus' presence, it, it's incredible, and she's, she's completely fallen at his feet. She's completely surrendering herself and making herself available to Jesus. And instead of saying, oh, you have this reputation, oh, I can't be seen with someone like you, oh, this can't be... Oh, you know, he, he doesn't do that in the slightest. And if anything, the Pharisee who is judging her, you know, we, we get his little thoughts right here, who's judging her, he calls him out by name and criticizes him for doing that, which I absolutely kind of love because Jesus is sassy and he's feisty anyway. And, he, and I just think that he cares so much about this woman who is who has responded to his presence in the, in the right way. Um, yeah, and so I love that this is, this is what Jesus wants from us. He wants us to come and, and come into his presence in a way that is, um, it's, it's calling us to sort of deny ourselves, and it's requiring a sacrifice. She was taking a chance by going into a Pharisee's home where she probably, in that, in that culture, had no place being, 
and she falls at his feet just so it even looks like hysterically she's weeping she she has an alabaster flask which is known um I believe perfume. He, it says ointment later in here. That would be expensive. That there's the sacrifice that she is so amazed and so consumed and so um, in awe of Jesus' presence that this is how she chooses to respond to him. And so there's that idea of Jesus is calling us to himself. God is calling us to himself because this is an upside-down kingdom where it doesn't matter what walk of life you are in, God wants all of us to come closer to him. But it doesn't end there. And this is one of my favorite parts, because not only does God call us to himself, but he also releases us. So he's calling us in and he's calling us out. And so at the end, he says... Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And we see time and time again, Jesus is healing. He's doing miracles. And then, and and people are believing. People are coming into the fold, into the community of believers and disciples. And then he sends them out. And he says, go, go into the next village. Go back to your own home, hometown and tell them what you've seen. Witness what you've heard. Um, And, and I think that's incredible as well. And even, I was thinking like, Jesus is my calling. When Jesus goes, when he ascends into heaven towards the end, so uh, in Luke we don't really see it at the end of this book, but the, they believe the same author is of the Acts as well. At the beginning of Acts, Jesus is ascending into heaven, and this is where he's, he's saying his last kind of goodbye, his last statement to his believers. And... Um, I'll just turn to it really quick. Acts 1.8. And, and Jesus is giving them their commission. This is what we know as our great commission as believers. Now we've come in. Now we're, we're to go out. So Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the, of the earth. In the end of Matthew, we, we hear Jesus is saying a little bit, there's a little added to it of, go and baptize people. Go and make disciples. So not are we called to be closer to God, but we are also called to go out and make disciples. And I, I love the idea of, um, of us. Disciple might seem a little like, ooh, I need to like be very uh, structured or very, you know, we need to go through this program or something. But honestly... The, the, the Greek word for go there is as you are going. So as you are going out, as we go into our communities, as we go into our estates, our homes where we live, let us um, impact and, and, and reach out to the people around us, starting with where we are at, and welcome them into the family of God. And if they know Jesus uh, if they know us, then they will know who Jesus is. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of my challenge to us is that uh, not only are we being called closer to Jesus, but we're also being called out to make disciples. And we've received this commission, this uh, mandate, if you will, that God wants to include us in changing this world, in sharing the gospel. And it, and it doesn't have to maybe be uh, this kind of calling that's, um, you know, maybe it is, you know, maybe is into a specific job, specific ministry, specific, specific title, whatever. But 
it can be as simple as as we are going out, as we are living, we are continually welcoming people into our own lives, into our own communities, our own churches, and, and what whatnot. And we are showing them and introducing them to Jesus. And it's as simple as that. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of my, my challenge to you guys. And I love that it starts in Jerusalem as well. He says in Jerusalem, which is exactly where all of the disciples were gathered. They're all waiting. So it starts right where you're at. And then it can lead to Judea, that'd be like Teesside, or, and then Samaria, that'd be like North Yorkshire, and then the ends of the earth. But it all starts here, and it, and it starts with us. And yeah, so. All right. Yay, thank you guys. <laughs> Uh, band, if you would like to come back up and kind of close us out. I'm not really sure how much time we have, but you can take it away. So, yeah. <laughs>